can have, I was going to say that. That was like the one thing I had to say that was helpful. So, so on Thursday, we gathered with friends and family. And you can leave those down. I don't want them to, I don't want to see them. Um, but, but we gathered with friends and family. We, we had cause for celebration. We had cause for at least a moment, hopefully, hopefully you took this opportunity, uh, to, to ponder things that you are thankful for. After all, that's why we... I'm glad you have a thousand things. That's awesome. So, I, I spent some time on, on Thursday and Friday thinking of, of some of the things that, that I'm thankful for. And, and it's funny because some of the things seem so small and minuscule, and then there's other things that are, that are much larger. I, I am so thankful um, that God duped someone to marrying me, you know, those kind of things, that, uh, that he, he convinced Misty at least for a moment to be blind to whatever this is going on. And I'm thankful that of the adventure he has our family on where uh, we get to love on two beautiful girls right now. Um, I'm thankful that I get to do life with some people who I've got to walk with for a long time. And they know me and I know them. And, and we get to adventure with God together. I'm thankful for the season that we're in here at Merge. Uh, We've been prayerfully walking with God these last couple of years about what, where He is leading us. And, and I'm thankful that He's given us an opportunity here in a couple of weeks, actually, to move in love on a new city. I'm thankful that He's given us these past 10 years. You realize here in the middle of January, we'll be 10 years old. Um, six more years, we can drive a car as a church. Um, and I'm, I'm thankful for those things. And, and now here's, here's what I want you to understand. Because cause my guess is that if you took some time this week and you asked, you know, what am I thankful for, that, that those things come to mind, right? Uh, I'm thankful that I have a job. I'm thankful that I have um, a bank account, though. Some, bet, some of us wish it, there was more money in it, right? I'm thankful that I live in a home I'm thankful that when I'm hungry, I can go eat something and that I can complain that there's nothing to eat, though I'm looking at a full pantry. Like, those are things that we can be thankful for, that, that there are people in this world that they don't get to experience that kind of gratitude. And here's what I'm learning, is that all the things I am thankful for, all the opportunities I'm thankful for, all the people I'm thankful for, they pale in comparison to one thing. And that's Jesus. And you're like, I know, this is what this guy's supposed to say because he's the pastor of the church. So he should love Jesus. Um, but I'm not always thankful for Jesus. I know. I don't think I'm alone in that. I should be, right? I know that. But here's what I know. Gratitude has action. And there are times when my desire for Christ and my desire for something else are in conflict. And so this is where I want us to go 
uh, this morning in, in Matthew chapter 27. And Bear, Bear's going to bring these verses up as, as I read them. And, and we've arrived at a, a pivotal moment, not in the Gospel of Matthew, but a pivotal moment in, in our lives. This moment right now, because Jesus fulfills the, this moment in Matthew 27, it changes how we live today. We've been walking very patiently these past few weeks as Jesus has been anointed with some oil to prepare Him for His burial. We've, we've walked and we've seen background scenes as the chief priests and the elders have now conspired and we know their ultimate plan. Now we know it because we've been around for a while, right? But, but in real time, what they are finding out is that these people have gone from wanting to stop Jesus to wanting to kill Him. And they've conspired to do that at this point. We've walked as Judas has walked in and says, Hey, I heard you want to kill Him. Let me help you with that. And he walked away and it says, Point forward, he looked for a moment to betray Jesus. We walked with Him through the Last Supper, which we will spend some time celebrating today. We walked with him as he left the upper room and he goes to a garden and he looks at, at uh, his disciples and he says, wait here, I'm going to go pray. And he says, Peter, James, John, y'all, y'all come with me. And they go a little bit further and he, sa- he tells them, my, my soul is sorrowful to the point of death. Wait here with me. And he goes and he prays the most magnificent prayer. He says, Father... If this cup could pass from me, let it be. Right? If if there's another way, then let's do this. But then he says something that changes everything for me. Nevertheless, regardless of my comfort, regardless of my situation, nevertheless, your will be done. And you have to understand, as we read uh, a good chunk of chapter 27 this morning, that all of it is out of this desire for Jesus to please His Father so His Father can display His love over us. That's what this is about. That Jesus says, I lay down my life for them because this is what you have sent me to do. And we walked last week as Jesus stands and He's kind of giving his guys a hard time. He's like, you guys couldn't stay awake just for a few moments. He says their eyes were heavy. And he says, rise, my betrayer is at hand. Right? And we watch Judas with armed guards come in and betray Jesus. And Judas walks in and he says, Rabbi. And Jesus says, friend. What a beautiful picture, right? that Jesus would look at Judas and still be willing to call him friend. Just do what you've come to do. And then Peter, you know, in his excitement, comes barreling out with a sword, chopping off people's ears. He shows what a bad shot he was. Jesus restores this ear of this soldier that has been wounded. And Jesus says, you guys don't get me, do you? Because I don't know why you have swords and uh, and torches. 
I've spoken openly among you. I've, I've taught in your temples. I've, I've walked. You've seen me. What has given you any iota of a, of a, of a thought that I would come ready to fight you today? And so he allows them to take him. He allows them to take him. And that's imperative you would understand that. Because never once in the story of God was God losing. Jesus has told us, I go as a sacrifice. And they take him to stand before Caiaphas, the high priest, and they bring false accusation after false accusation. And it says, finally, two stand up and they say, this guy says he can destroy the temple. And Caiaphas says, hey, tell us now, are you the son of the living God? And Jesus says, you've said it so. And that's when they said, that's it, we got it. We got him. Then the scene moves to Peter in the garden. I'm sorry, in the temple. He's followed. Peter, who's been most willing to say, doesn't matter, Jesus they all fall away, I'll be the one standing behind you. I'll stand beside you, even to the point of death. And Jesus looks at him and says, you're going to deny me three times tonight. And, and in while all of this scene with Jesus is developing, a new scene has begun with Peter. And they say, hey, you, you're one of them, right? And he swears, no, 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 not me, not me. Not me. Then another girl comes up, you know, it's you, your accent kind of gives you away. No, 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 I swear. Then the third person comes up. You're one of them. I, I know it. I know it. I know it. And he says, no. And he makes oaths and he makes promises. And At that third time, the rooster crows. And Luke tells us that, that at that moment, Peter looks up and he sees Jesus. And Jesus is looking at him. And it says he, he went away weeping bitterly. And we, we didn't end on a sad note, right? Because we remember... There's such great, beautiful restoration that Jesus gives Peter later. But where we left last week was Jesus has been arrested. They've decided he is guilty. And they've begun beating him and spitting on him and mocking him. This is where we go in, in chapter 27, in verse 1. You ready, Bear? When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put Him to, what's the word? Death. And they bound Him and they led Him and they delivered Him over to Pilate, the governor. And now here's, here's why Pilate's important. Uh, they can't kill Him. The Jewish people didn't have the right to execute. And so they need Pilate, who's in control of the Roman government there in the region, to give the death sentence. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And, and throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and he hanged himself. 
But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. What, what a fascinating confession, right? This money is for the blood of another person. We, we can't put it back in with the clean money, as if any of it's clean at this point. So they took counsel and they brought with them the, the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. And now here's what's beautiful. Verse number 9. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the, the price of him on whom a price had been set by the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed them. This is what's amazing. These people who were supposed to know all of the word of the prophet are now fulfilling the very words that God said, hey, this is going to happen. Just to let you know, I've ordained this moment. Jesus is going to intersect with the cross at the precise moment of my choosing. Verse 11, Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he, he gave no answer. Now the reason why he gives no answer, it doesn't help at all. Right? They've already decided his guilt. They've already decided they don't want... There's no reasoning with this kind of person. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear now many things they testify against you? But he gave no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. He was like, He's asking the same kind of question that the disciples had been asking way before. Who is this guy? Because Pilate stands before guilty people all the time. And most of the time, guilty people say, It wasn't me really just out of fear of their own lives. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who was called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. And so this is the... The ploy for Pilate is simply this. Let's bring in a notorious criminal. Let's take a murderer. Let's bring him up. Then let's show them Jesus and say, which one of these two do you want running the streets? Which one of these two? Because he knows, right? He knows it is out of envy that they want Jesus executed. Verse 19, besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders, they were working the crowd, and they persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And the governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to him, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And they all said, Let him be crucified. 
And he said, why? He says, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. And so when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and he washed his hands before the crowd and he says, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and our children. Oh, God. You want to talk about something you really shouldn't have said. Then Pilate released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered Him to be crucified. Now, let me stop you right here. Not to paint a gruesome scene, but, but Matthew describes something that his the people of his day would understand. When I use the word scourge, we don't really understand what that means. It's not just a flogging and it's not just a beating. It's, it's an annihilation. It's a torturous thing. This is the part that I'm sure if you've seen the movies or you've gone to a church and you've seen the, the Easter story, this is the part where they lay him on a rock and they, they take a cat and nine tails, which is basically just a, a whip that has many whips and inside it there's bone and glass tied in. And this is when they would whip him and as they would pull back, the bone and the glass would set and it would literally tear the flesh from the body. And crucifixion was a, a sentence, was a punishment to the extent that, that the Romans came up with it and they said this is so severe that we don't do this to our own people. We don't, we don't execute our own people in this way because it's so torturous. This is the part where they would take your body and they would literally put spikes through your arms and through your feet. And the idea is that you would literally suffocate to death by standing up. That in order to breathe, you had to pull yourself up to catch a breath and you'd inhale and then your body would give out. And you would constantly be trying to do this until the point of death. So when, when Matthew tells us that Pilate had Jesus scourged. His hope is that by watching this man get beaten and just tore apart, that something inside the crowd would click and they would say, that's enough. But here's, here's what I'm reminded of when I read these verses. That Isaiah 56, 53 says this, By his wounds... You are healed. So every time Jesus is punched, whipped, spit on, poked, and staked through, this is the part of the process that brings us healing. Verse 27, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered with him the whole battalion, that's about 600 dudes, okay? So imagine the scene, one and 600. 
And they stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hell, the king of the Jews! And they spit on him and they took the reed and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of his robe, of the robe and they put on his own clothes and they led him away to be crucified. And as they went out, they found a man of Serene, Simon by name, and, and they compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gold, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. Now, the idea is they would give you this, and it was a numbing agent. It would, it would relieve some of the pain that you were going through. And Jesus refuses it because he knows in this moment he needs every bit of his wherewithal to fulfill what God has sent him to do. Verse 35, And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots, which is just fulfilling another prophecy. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put a charge against him which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews, which is true. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right, one on the left. And, and those who passed by derided him, they wagging their heads and saying, which I don't know what that looks like. I think it's like bobble like, like that a little bit, um, but meaner. And they said, You... You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. This is what they don't understand. That if He is the Son of God, it is imperative that He remains on the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders, they mocked Him saying, He saved others. He cannot save Himself. He is the King of Israel. Let Him come down. Let Him come down now. From the cross, and we will believe in Him. And here's what I, here's what I'm learning. We don't set the terms when it comes to life with God. We don't do it. Because here's what they said. They said, "Hey, if He'll cower down to our expectations, if He will cower down to 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 what we want Him to do, then then we'll believe in Him. And if Jesus comes off the cross, He isn't the Savior of the world." They said, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him the same way. Now, from the sixth hour. So we've arrived at noon. From the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. So we're talking noon to about three o'clock in the afternoon. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Elashambachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's great debate over this line as to what was happening. If we put our humanistic kind of mindset, it was this moment of, of great um, struggle of believing that, that 
Jesus knew it was going to be painful, but not this painful. I don't believe that's the case. I believe that, that when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was the first moment in all of time that Jesus felt the Father turn His shoulder. It was that moment when Jesus takes on the sins of the world. That's too big. It was that moment when Jesus took your sin on Himself. And the Father says, I am the Lord God. I share my glory with no one. I am holy. And I think it's in this great moment of agony that Jesus experiences for the very first time ever separation. Some of the bystanders, verse 47, some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and and put it on a reed and, and gave it to him to drink. But, but the others were like, oh, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. Let's see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. That's a huge word. Yielded up his spirit. He gave it. He gave it. He, it wasn't taken from him. He's very clear about that in the gospel. No one comes to take my life from me. I give it gladly as a sacrifice. So he yielded up his spirit, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to the bottom. And let me tell you about that. Okay? So you have the temple. We can go back all the way to the Old Testament where you have the tabernacle. And and there was three different places of the tabernacle. You had the outer courtyard where people would begin the cleansing process to enter into the temple. You would get into the inside of the temple, and then there was a room called the Holy of Holies, and there was a curtain that blocked it off, okay? The, the Holy of Holies was the place where God dwelt, the presence of God dwelt. If you watch Indiana Jones, this is where the Ark of the Covenant was resting, okay? And that thing isn't to be messed with, right? Me too. So... So you would go in, and there would be this curtain that would separate you from God, okay? And it kept, it held all the way through the temple. And it's this image that we are veiled from God, but more importantly, we don't have access to God because there is this curtain. And so as Jesus said, not a coincidence, by the way, okay? It's not like this, this curtain, this, this uh, veil, it's not like it was ratty and just falling apart, and it just so happens on the same day that Jesus dies, this curtain tears. It says, The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And so what that does is it tells us something beautiful about what Jesus is accomplishing. That He is our way to having access to the Father. It says this, And the earth shook, and the rocks were split, and the tombs were also opened. This thing gets crazy. It gets walking dead real quick. 
And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And, and coming out of their tombs after His resurrection, they, they went to the holy city and they appeared to many. Okay, we're just going to put a pin in that and we're not going to address it right now. Verse 54, When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and they said, Truly, Truly, this is the Son of God. And what's been the question on the table all throughout the Gospel? Who is Jesus? And He's been very patient. He's been very patient with people who were just hostile towards Him. And they see all that happen. They come in and they say, the only conclusion is this, that Jesus is the Son of God. And it's this pain and this excruciation that so strangely I am so thankful for today. I'm thankful that He has done for me what I could not do for myself. I'm thankful that by His wounds I am healed. I'm thankful that the punishment that was upon me He took. I'm thankful that He's given me life. He's given me purpose. He's given me hope. And my prayer is that we would be a church that that thought would never be foreign from us that in every moment of every day from this point forward, that it is literally all about the fame of Jesus. That we wouldn't struggle, like I said earlier, with our gratitude. That we would remember what He has done. So this is what we come to do today. We come to stop and to remember. And the way the church does this is through communion. So the way this will work is, is that we're going to give you a moment to collect your elements. The way this, I think this would be smoother if we, this side goes on the outside and this side goes on the outside and then comes back to the inside. I think it will be quicker and more efficient that way. Then you bring your elements and you just hold them and we'll partake all together. But what we were doing is we were remembering that it took the spilling of blood and the breaking of a body to rescue us. So we come in today and we stop, we remember, and we say thanks. Let us do that now. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you for your great love. Our hearts break this morning because You had to rescue us. And I pray that even though we, we walked through such a horrific scene of, of death and torture, that, that, that we would understand and we would experience Your great love in this moment. We thank You. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can start.
as they're, those final few are getting their elements. We'll, we were in this scene, I think it was two weeks ago, uh, where Jesus is sitting with his disciples and, and he takes some bread and he breaks it and he says, guys, this is a picture. This is a symbol of my body that's being broken for you. And so we come in as a church and we remember the brokenness of Jesus by eating of the bread and we get the easy part of that, that little exchange. That the law of God demanded a sacrifice. But what we know as we read the Bible is that the law was only given as a placeholder until Christ could come. And so we stop in these moments And we focus our hearts on the fact that Jesus literally was broken for us. Father, we thank you for the body of Jesus. For his, the punishment that he took on our behalf has given us so much more than we could even comprehend. We stop, we say thanks. You may partake of the bread. Did you get too? Oh, did you dip it? Oh no, Finley, it's all you're out of control, girl. So the juice is just a simple picture of the blood that's being poured out for the forgiveness of sins. We don't live in that kind of society anymore. But what you needed was the spilling of blood for the forgiveness of sins. And, and so every year, every couple years, every couple times throughout the year, there would be the spilling of blood for the remission of your sins. To, to tell God, I'm sorry, here's the sacrifice I bring to you. And what we see fulfilled in Jesus is that there is no more need for the spilling of blood. That it says that that His blood washes us as white as snow. And so we stop and we remember today that the spilling of blood rescued us. There was a price to be paid lest we would make the gospel so cheap that we we would say, yes, I've given my heart to Jesus, but then I would live however which way I want to live the rest of my life says this, you were bought with a price. You were not your own, so glorify God with your body. You were bought with a price, and this is what we remember, that the price was the breaking and the spilling of Jesus. Father, we come to you and we thank you that you have made the way possible that, that the blood of Jesus is, is a sacrifice that is worth that you've looked at and you said is worthy so we stop and we remember and we say thanks you may partake